How do we bring the diversity of cultures of our respective target languages into our classrooms? Well, in this episode, we're talking about how to do just that. Kia D. London, who is a Spanish teacher in Chicago, speaks with me today about how she brings the Afro-Latino diaspora to her students in the classroom. Kia has lots to share, from how she came to understand and appreciate the diversity of cultures to how she provides this experience to her students. So let's jump in. Are you a language teacher looking for some reassurance that what you're doing in the classroom is on the right track? Or maybe you're looking for some ways to teach even more effectively. If you're one or the other or somewhere in between, you've landed in the right place. This is the World Language Classroom Podcast with your host, me, Joshua Cabral. You're about to get tips, tools, and resources so that your students continue to rise in proficiency and communicate with confidence. Let's jump in. Vamos, allons-y. Hello, my friends. Bonjour, mes amis. Hola, mis amigos. Welcome to the World Language Classroom Podcast. I am Joshua Cabral, and thank you, as always, for taking this time out of your week to think about your teaching in the classroom based on the conversations you're hearing other teachers having on this podcast. And hopefully you're getting little nuggets out of everything and taking it into your room the next day. And you're probably listening to this when you're not at school, which means you're an educator trying to do your own sort of professional development on the side while you're driving in the car or folding laundry or taking a walk. And that's what makes you an incredible educator. So thank you for always going that extra mile. So today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about the word representation. And in our current teaching practices and the way we're talking about teaching, this theme of representation is coming up a lot. And it's mixed in with this word of diversity, and there might be this theme of diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI, that's going around. It's looked at in a lot of different ways, and this terminology being used with it. But I am joined today by Kia D. London, who is going to help us really look at what this means in our classrooms. And particularly, she's going to be speaking about Afro-Latino culture, but always as teachers are listening that there there are parts about just engaging respectfully with culture and authentically with culture. So regardless of what language or culture you might be using in your classroom, there will be those parts in there. Kia is a Spanish teacher in Chicago, and she's been teaching for about 17 years and much like myself, she's had experience at the high school, middle school, and elementary level and finds those really top points in each one where you have those learning moments. And it was interesting in talking with her, she referred to each period of time as the season. She referred to her season of teaching elementary and what she learned there and how that's helped her in her middle school teaching. So she's always sort of looking for those ways of being even better for herself. So in Chicago, she teaches at the Latin School of Chicago. And if you have attended Actful, you may very well have seen her workshops there as well, where she has presented on this theme of Afro-Latino culture. So Kia D. London, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm excited. So it's okay. so good. <laughs> All right. So I 
think that I, I gave a little bit of background about sort of, it's like the resume background. It's like, this is the conference you've been at. This is how long you've been teaching. But so much of what we're going to be talking about today is this personal, authentic lens of what we're bringing to the classroom. So I would really like to know about your personal connection, in particular to the Spanish language and Afro-Latino culture. What was your early language learning like, and what has that brought to your whole world of language teaching? All right. Well, I will say that it started with my parents when I was young, maybe seven, eight years old, I remember my parents wanting to speak Spanish with me. And so they would practice per se. And I remember at that time how my mom would share, she shared a story about how her father wanted her to become a translator or interpreter for like the government. And so my mother initially started out that path, but she ended up doing something else that was fulfilling for her destiny. So it's interesting to see how generationally, how that's carried over per se to myself, as far as having like that personal connection with the language. And it was, it was very natural for me, like when we would practice and I, I really enjoyed it, but I like a lot of students, I started formally at the middle school level. I was seventh grade and worked my way all the way up to AP, Spanish AP. And initially it came very, very easy for me, grew a love for the language. And I didn't have plans to continue with it when I went to undergrad. And I remember I had to take a placement exam and this was at the University of Iowa. And so I was a little nervous about it because I had only taken like a semester of Spanish AP by like senior year because I was just done. I was like, yeah, graduating, whatever. And I ended up testing out of the program and I wasn't expecting that. So I decided to continue again and met some incredible professors who talked about the culture. One, one of them in particular, he would talk about the oranges in Sevilla and I remember speaking with him and I'd say, well, where is this? Like, I want to go travel. Like, I want to go study here. So I ended up studying a semester in um, España, Spain. And from there, I was able to connect my love of music and dance that I do still have. I just don't do it that often to the language. And so while I was there in undergrad, my senior year, I had an opportunity to travel to Cuba. And so I studied in Cuba and I didn't go to Havana. I visited there briefly, but the majority of my stay was in, was in Matanzas, Cuba. And so in Matanzas, Cuba, you have all of your Afro-Cubans. And I remember that being such an, a, a very surreal yet emotional and soulful experience because I saw more people that looked like me that spoke the language. And it was, it was amazing. I learned not only a lot about the music and dance and the history, but I learned a lot from the people. I made some incredibly great friends who I still am in contact with today. And that was really where everything started for me. 
So having that experience, you were exposed and had the opportunity to engage with this diversity pretty directly, you know, going there and saying, oh, so these people I'm meeting in, in Cuba are referring to themselves possibly as even Afro-Cubano, right? I don't know if they actually do that, but it's the, that, that, that physicality that it's the part of the diversity of sort of the Latino experience that you're going to see them in different ways. And so bringing that diversity of, of the Latino experience existence and culture and bring that into the classroom, I would like to really get some ideas about how you see that, how you're doing it, because I know you're doing it so well. And that experience (laughs) is so huge for teachers to hear that. So let's start with why do you personally see representation of racial and, you know, ethnic diversity as vital to the classroom experience so that it's not this monolithic experience. Right. I think for me, when I think about my students, it is important for them to see themselves in the curriculum. It's important for them to see themselves, you know, in the different cultures that we are studying or or even talking about. And it's also important to their identity. We briefly did a unit about identity in the beginning of the year, and I wanted to bring that in again. It's a common theme that we tackle like at the middle school level, at least for my class, fifth grade. And I really wanted to bring that in because I wanted the students to understand that when we address and talk about experiences and stories and, you know, the language and and culture within the Spanish-speaking world, it includes a variety of people with a variety of different backgrounds. And I think that that's important. And I'll say that because I was in a situation, I'll never forget this. I was teaching at a charter school and it was predominantly black school. And I walked in so arrogant in a sense where it was just like, okay, I got this. The kids are totally going, they're going to connect with me and with Spanish. And they did not, they did not. And it was really because not only did I have different experiences from them, but they did not see themselves in the curriculum. So it was interesting because for that one second, even though, you know, you go through the teacher training and you take the classes, I had literally forgotten to bring in that piece. And I'll never forget, I had a talk with my assistant director and she said, Kia, she's like, you gotta, you gotta bring in the diaspora. She's like, you have to talk about the diaspora. And I looked at her and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like, of course. And I don't even, you know, to this day, I don't even know why I didn't see that and didn't think that. It was almost like I used it as like a separate piece and then, okay, we're going to do Espanol, you know, or whatever, you know, it is you want to say. And I said, okay, yes. So I ended up incorporating a lot of things there and I started real small, like, you know, a person of the month. So I made sure whichever person that we were focused in on was of Afro-Latin origin. And so little by little, like even with that, the students started engaging because 
from that standpoint, it was really like, well, you know, I was Miss Bryant at the time. It was just Miss Bryant. We don't, we don't speak Mexican. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm like, no, it's not Mexican, <laughs> you know? So, but the thing about it is that that was their, that was their perception mm-hmm. of the language. That was a pivotal moment that I needed to change that perception yeah. um, of the language yeah. for those students. It was saying you mentioned the diaspora aspect and having that refocus, you know, sometimes it takes yeah. those conversations with someone, oh, like you're aware of it, you know, and it's, oh, and then the refocus. I've been noticing in conference programs with workshops that there has been this increase in talking about the Black experiences in countries that we, where we don't typically talk about it and particularly i've been seeing like being black in italy like the black experience in italy and and different countries because i think this is very stereotypical it's like when you think of an italian or a person living in italy there's a certain image that comes to mind and we're not seeing or talking about perhaps in like an italian curriculum the experience of being black there, you know, being Afro Italian, you know, then. So I see that there's this increase on this, but it's again, that reminder, that reminder where it's happening. Right. Yeah. 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 And I had spoken with Ben Tinsley a couple of episodes back. I've had him on the podcast twice and he helped me with a reframing of a concept and it was about the word inclusion. Mm-hmm. And he simply said this mind-blowing thing to me that has revolutionized how I look at culture. He said that he centers voices and experiences in his classroom rather than including them. Because when you include someone, you're simultaneously also reminding them of whose house they're in. And when he said that, my mind was just like blown by that. And what I'm hearing you talk about is doing so much more than just including it, but making it part of what we're doing. This is in the center of what we're doing. And I thank you and people like Ben for giving us this opportunity to refocus how we're looking at culture in our classrooms. So with that in mind, I would like to hear your thoughts about essentially being consistent with that, because that's what it comes down to. Centering means being consistent, right? And there are those times where there are those one-off lessons. It's like, oh, look, here is how they do this in this town in Mexico, or here is the Afro-Cuban experience. Those one-offs are probably... I would imagine not nearly as beneficial as being consistent. So what are your thoughts on why one-off lessons around representation or diversity are less effective than being consistent with them? Or what's the harm that could come from them? I would say because you are initially saying we're going to do this and we're going to do this. And oh, yeah. Oh, yeah that thing over there, right? So you have a plate of food and you have everything on your plate that you want to eat. You've got your veggies. Well, I would hope veggies. I don't know. (laughs) Veggies might not be everybody's favorite, but, but you got your veggies, your protein, 
and maybe a starch, right? And you're looking at your plate and it's like, wait, oh yeah, oh yeah, we, we got to have some of that. We have to add add this in. Now, the issue with that is is that sometimes the extra quote unquote ingredient or the essential thing that we need to add onto our plate, what happens is that it gets put on the side instead of, no, I need to put it here and I need to make sure I sprinkle, not even sprinkle, but literally put it here, put it on the center of the plate and then approach. Mm -hmm. And that's the danger because you don't want to get into a place where you as the instructional leader in your classroom and your students recognize that pattern where it's like, oh yeah, we're going to talk about this for, you know, Hispanic and or Latinx Heritage Month. Oh, but we're not going to do the Black history stuff until it's Black History Month. And you just, that's something we really need to get away from, especially if we're talking about and speaking about moving forward when it comes to, as you said earlier about Ben, centering voices. And I think with that, the inclusion piece turns into the belonging. And I think that's where the belonging piece comes in. And I'll never forget that. I had a chance to attend a professional development at Wildwood Institute in Santa Monica. And it was a PD trip for the DEI team at our school. And I'll never forget seeing the, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And when I think about in terms of what Ben had stated, the belonging piece has to be there. It has to be there in order for us to continue to center. Mm-hmm. When it comes to consistency, I'm thinking, again, I have this privilege. I have such a privilege of talking to people like you in my podcast. I have all these great teachers, and you're willing to sit down and like talk to me for 45 minutes of your life, and I get to pick your brain, and I learn all this great stuff. So thank you so much, you know. But I heard someone, it was Devin Gunning, who I recently did a podcast episode with, and the topic had very little to do specifically with what we're talking about right now, but consistency came up. And she gave me another one of those like life-changing moments where she just said, let consistency do its magic. Mm. And I was like, Ooh, <laughs> let consistency do its magic. And it's so true. So I would like to hear about some specifics about what you're doing in your classroom. So can you think of a, a topic, maybe it's a, a unit, anything that you see that fits in here that you have centered this idea of diversity and the diverse experience into your classroom? And what did that look like? And what did students get out of it? Just tell us all the goods. (laughs) Okay, wonderful. Well, one example that I can think of that I've been doing is between September and October, and I know October 12th rolls around, we we talk about El Dia de Raza, which is one thing. However, we also talk about the different indigenous voices. So you have the Afro-Indigenous voices. For example, you have the Garifuna people, and then you also have the Tainos as well. So that's one example. And typically... 
I like to do that through readings, information, which tends to work best. And sometimes before we get into discussions about the Garifuna people or either the Tainos, I do ask my class, like, hey, why do you think that there are people of African descent here? Because I really want, number one, I want to see whether or not they understand historically why that would be. And number two, whether or not, I mean, they even know, they even know. And so I will say, at least within our school, our history department has done a phenomenal job in which by the time my fifth graders are with me, they're aware. They know about the African diaspora. They know about the enslavement and so forth. And, you know, different people of African descent, my ancestors being dispersed to different places, which does help. But in some cases, there are students that come to my class and, and they don't know. So we have a brief, you know, discussion on that. And depending on the level, sometimes, it, you know, there's English. And then sometimes I can speak to all of them in the language, in the target language. But that is generally like the very first step, just to kind of gauge their background experience with that. And then we'll go into the reading. So I'll give them background history on, you know, where the Garifuna people are located. You know, where, where is the Caribbean? Where is Central America? Which turns into, and I'm thinking of Ben right now, you know, a little bit of map talk and, and so mm -hmm. forth. And, you know, that geography is so important because as much as I think that, okay, yeah, my kids already know where Central America is and I'll still get responses like, yeah, is it? You know, in South America, I'm like, no, that's yeah, completely different region. Which is great because then you've you've now given them that that background, the history, geography. So then at that point, they're ready to read. We might do it as a whole class, but before that happens, I'll have them preview the reading. Like, hey, do you all have any questions on vocab? any words you don't quite understand. And most of the time with a lot of my students, they like to read in pairs. So I let them do that. And then typically that generates a lot of different discussion, like after they read and we come back and we'll go over certain questions. And if there's themes that pop up, we will, you know, address those themes. Mm -hmm. So that's one, one example. You quickly threw in, as you were saying, you said sometimes in English, I was really happy to see that in the book Common Ground by Florencia <laughs> Henshaw, which everyone's talking about right now, there was this little piece in there, Florencia Henshaw and Maris Hawkins, there was this little piece in there about teaching about culture. And then they have these little sections in the book was in case you were wondering, and so there's this question about, do you have to do it all in the target language? And prior to reading that, I was sort of the don't ever tell anyone if you say something in English in your classroom, if you explain difficult things in English in your classroom, they will judge you harshly if they're a CI teacher. Just don't do it. And so they had this little section where what happens if you have to you know, say it in English? And because Hawkins and Henshaw put it in their book, they said, and I'm like, OK, it's OK, everybody now. They said that, you know, sometimes that's going to happen. And if it's above their proficiency level, you want to make sure that they are learning what they need to learn and that there's a certain part of our classroom that is about 
linguistics. It is about the language acquisition, but there's so much else. Like all this stuff you're talking about right here has nothing to do with actual Spanish verbs and vocabulary. It's about an understanding of the world. And so I, I guess they collectively said in the book, just because it's not happening in target language doesn't mean learning isn't happening. Mm-hmm. And and it's true. Mm-hmm. Of course, we always have to remember not to let it be a slippery slope. And so then it makes sure that everything's okay if it's not in the target language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're professionals. We understand the slippery slope, right? But but that idea that if you if you have to do some of it in English because it's such an important concept that just don't think that learning's not happening because it yeah. is. You know. So I'm. I'd like to know if, like, from your perspective of your students where you are centering and making sure that they have these, this exposure, this interaction to this authentic diversity, like, what do you see as the benefits from them? Like the actual, what they have replied back or things they've said or seen, like, how do you, like, what have you seen as the, the effect on the learning, not just on your teaching? I will say what I see from them is feedback. And I don't mean the immediate feedback in class at the moment where I'm like, okay, classe, go on life way, bien, you know, but feedback that I, I'll send them a Google form. And typically I do this once a quarter. We have, we run on quarters and also semesters. And so I'll ask them like, Hey, what else do you need from me? Or what, what's going well? And so I will typically see that like in the comments from some, not all, depending on whether or not they want to mention it. And then as a whole school, we also do feedback and it happens fall semester and spring semester where each student has to answer some questions about how things are going in their classes. And we've also done this from the quote unquote DEI perspective, as far as, you know, identity, when I'm thinking about the learning for social justice standards, so our learning, yes, the identity, the diversity and so forth. And so I will see a lot of that there depending on, you know, what the needs are. And I've also seen it too, like in projects, I'll never forget. We had an end of the year project last year and one of my students, the students had a choice. They got to choose from a variety of different projects they wanted to do. And so one of my students chose the option of talking about two influential figures within the Spanish speaking world and comparing them. And so he chose Cesar Chavez and he chose Yanga. And I thought that was like amazing. I was like, oh my gosh, like just, it was just like amazing. I still have it to this day on my Padlet. And I remember I told him, I was like, this is amazing. I think it's great that you chose to compare and talk about, you know, both of just like what their work looked like, how well, you know, they represented in terms of like coming from their communities. And um, it was just, it, it was wonderful. So those are just a few ways, <laughs> a couple yeah. ways. Yeah. It's a, a lot of times with this, you, it's not an assessment 
where you can see it, but you start to see like where where it comes up and where that influence is coming in. So thank you for sharing those. So I'd be curious to know where you continue to pull your inspiration from. As you were talking and mentioning a couple of different projects and the the different people and communities that you're showing to your classroom, I was I was thinking, where is she learning all this from? Like, like so like I have my inspiration question that I like to ask all my my guests, but I more than that, I want to know where you're learning all this from. Like these people and those people and this, like what are you what are you doing to gain all that knowledge? <laughs> oh man, yeah. It's so I I will say undergrad, I had a professor. Her name was Dr. Cricklow. And the course I took was actually on the diaspora. And I'm kicking myself now because I can't find the book. And I think the book is somewhere in storage. So I'm like, oh, where's that book? But at the time I took the course, it was I was a sophomore. And that was the other time where the light bulb like went off where she started talking about the African diaspora and we were reading about all the different African communities in Costa Rica and other places. And I remember thinking, wow, like, how come I didn't know this? How come this was never taught to me, like growing up, you know, besides, you know, my parents at the time, and this was before I traveled to Cuba. And so I think back to that moment a lot. And so with that moment, that's really propelled me to really take a look at to see, okay, what do we need to do? And what gaps need to be put together in order to make sure that we're being real transparent and authentic with our work as world language teachers. And so the African diaspora centering in on African communities has become a huge passion and just really starting from there. And then of course, going back, you know, to Cuba and, you know, remembering that experience I had at that, that the high school that I taught at and really thinking about, you know, I want my students to experience this and know this at an early age. I don't, want it to be the case where it's college, where it's just like, oh, well, I didn't know this. And even when I think about the media, there's still the elephant in the room of colorism, especially within a variety of Spanish-speaking communities. And granted, I have seen a little bit of change, but we're, we're not, you know, we're not quite there yet. And just really making sure that my students are able to see that they too, not only do they matter, but their voices, their background, their connections, their cultures are all tied into just like what what we are doing and, mm-hmm. and what they're learning. And that's really where the bulk of like my inspiration comes from. And there's days where I, I do get tired and sometimes I do get discouraged and sometimes I do get disappointed and not necessarily disappointed in myself, but more so disappointed when I witness and or see or hear situations where it's like, 
this the whole DEI and if we had B belonging becomes like this checkbox mm-hmm. and there's no action. And so I think that's the part that really gets me at times. However, I keep going because I know that there have been others before me. I think about Dr. Krishana Heinz Gaither. She has a wonderful book out called The Anti-Racist World Language Classroom. Mm-hmm. And I want to say her and Tamari, I can't remember Tamari's last name, started the African American Linguist. It was a, a website first. And I remember finding it and they had provided all these resources on the diaspora that I was able to pull from. And then now, I mean, it's a Facebook page. And so then from there, I met Jennifer White and then, mm-hmm. you know, she had the Afro-Latino page and I'm like, oh yeah, this is great. And then later on, I met AC, Alicia. There's just been a lot of inspiration. For me, it's always a journey and it's a journey of faith and knowing that even if people don't get it today or either they're not quite able to understand at the moment, at least I'm doing what I know I'm supposed to do and planting those seeds and knowing that later on, when I look back, maybe not, or depending on where I'm at, there'll be a flower there where Mm -hmm. someone has grown or either someone has remembered like, Hey, remember when you were talking about, so Mm -hmm. that's a little bit of where my inspiration comes from. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that the action piece that you mentioned, you know, it's like great to have all the, the, the knowledge and figuring it out and all that, but then like actually putting it into action. I wish our different acronyms like DEI and then we have DEIJB is actually how we use it in our school. So there's justice Mm -hmm. and belonging in there, but it's still not an action step, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think we need to figure out some way to make sure there's that action step at the end. The teachers that I work with in Nicaragua, they are in a very remote area, no electricity, no water. It's like, it's a very, very simple yet productive life that they live. And they all have this mantra that they use with their students and they say, APA. So it's APA. So it's learn, practice, apply. And that is a simple, simple way. Yep. They learn stuff, they practice it. And they tell me all the time, they haven't used it for anything though. Like, Josue, no han usado nada. I'm like, oh, right. Yes, great. They can they they can add and subtract. Great. But what are they going to do with it? You know, and it's like they don't they don't have they don't have time to just be like playing math games. What are they going to do with it? You know, and and I'm always like, okay. so all of these Nika people have figured out in this remote area that it is important to take what we learn and do something with it. And I have to remember to do that. They're like, oh, you you come from such a privileged country where you can just learn, learn, learn and not do anything with it. And it's always like when you said like you go to, to Cuba and you come back and like you're reminded of different things and like, yes. Okay. All right. I have to be reminded of those. Okay. So I would like to pull the teacher curtain back a little bit and uh, learn a little more (laughs) about Kia. You up for our little this or that game? Oh yeah. Love it. Okay. All right. So the first one is when it comes to your work day, are you a arrive early because you left stuff from yesterday that needs to get done? Or do you stay late to get those extra things done so that you don't have to go in early? Okay. I am arrive early. 
Mm-hmm. I am truly a rivalry. I have three kiddos under nine. So I, my body now, it just wakes up mm-hmm. naturally, sometimes at five, sometimes at 4.30 cause I work out in the morning. Mm-hmm. So, and I find that my brain is just very, very fresh in the morning. Like okay. after the long drive, you know, I've got some quiet time in the car I've got my coffee, my music. And then when I walk in the building, I'm like, okay, I'm ready. Yeah. So. (laughs) Arrive early, productive morning person. Okay. So do you enjoy cooking? No. You cook because you have to. All right. Okay. I get it. So do I. So do I. (laughs) Okay. So when it comes to that, we all have to do the cooking, right? At some point. So as you're cooking, do you clean as you go or do you let it pile up and clean it all at the end? I try to clean as I go. I try to clean as I go. I am a multitasker. Sometimes that that can be a good thing. And sometimes when it comes to projects that you're working on, I have to literally tell myself, okay, no, one project at a time. You can't do multiple. Mm -hmm. So at least when I'm in the kitchen, if I'm cooking and while I'm waiting on whatever is, you know, cooking, I'll unload, load the dishwasher put some things away, kind of start cleaning. And I, I just, I don't like to waste time. Mm. I think just with age and getting older, I have really learned and appreciate the value of time. So I want to make sure that I'm utilizing every minute as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've used that question with guests a few times and I've never had that perspective on the answer about the time <laughs> and not necessarily time saving, but utilizing time effectively as you go. Yeah. I like that lens on it. Yeah. Last one is if you are at some sort of museum, And there are different types of museums, clearly. But do you prefer interactive exhibits or do you like an exhibit where you appreciate from a distance? I like the exhibit where I appreciate from a distance because it it gives me time to pause, reflect, think. I feel like I've said that a lot. I I like (laughs) to pause, reflect and think that Mm -hmm. is like. That's just me. Pause, reflect, think, pray. It's just, it's, it's there. Mm. So I like that time. And it can also be very inspiring as well. Very inspiring, very encouraging too. Excellent. Well, I'm sure that there are teachers listening to us right now that would like to connect with you, reach out to you, continue some of these conversations. So how can teachers be connecting with you? Wonderful. Okay. So my current Twitter handle is at Maestra London. You can find me there. And I do have a site. It's bit.ly backslash and then K London. But if you go to the Twitter, you'll see the website there. And if you click there, there's a variety of different things. There's products specifically centered on the African diaspora, Facebook groups, webinars, everything. Yeah. So look forward to connecting. Yeah. So I will make sure that those are in the show notes so they can go directly there or through your Twitter as well. 
So before we say our goodbyes, I was hoping that you could leave us with a little bit of advice for teachers. There may be teachers who have been making a really concerted effort to center diversity in their classroom. There may be teachers that are a little hesitant because they're not exactly sure where to start. So what advice could you leave us about going into our classrooms tomorrow? So my advice would be start with consistent, actionable steps. And typically for me, I always look at what in whatever lesson that I am about to teach. And if we are around September, October, besides the quote unquote norm, I always look at what is missing. What is missing? What haven't we talked about? And also look at your students. Look at your students too. We have students that come, we all do, from a variety of different backgrounds, interests. You want to center in on their interests as well. And then also seek out help if needed. Jennifer has a wonderful Facebook group page, Afro-Latino, centering in on Afro-Latino voices. And don't be afraid to ask for help. Like, hey, I'm thinking about teaching this lesson. What do you think if I did such and such? It's okay to ask. All right. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for all of your insights and for spending this time with us today. It has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for being here. All right. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun, Joshua. Thank you. What are your takeaways from that conversation with Kia D. London? As she advised right at the end, let's all be sure to have a lens of what's not there and work towards a perspective of centering and belonging. Be sure to check out the show notes to connect directly with Kia D. London. You'll also see a link in the show notes to sign up for Talking Points, my weekly email newsletter with tips and resources for language teaching. There are also links to get in touch with me if you would like to work together, either in person in your school or remotely. Talk to you soon. Bye for now. You've been listening to the World Language Classroom Podcast. Be sure to follow or subscribe wherever you're listening so you don't miss a single episode. Let's continue the conversation on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at WL Classroom. You can also see over 250 blog posts about language teaching at, you guessed it, wlclassroom.com.